This will be Prophecies in Zechariah, number two. But first, I want to cover some things with news. Now, I have a letter here. Here it is. He says, Hello, Fred. How much do you know about Herbert W. Armstrong's prayer rock? Well, we know this much, that he went up to Eugene, Oregon, and found a rock, which he said was a place where Herbert Armstrong prayed. So if you pray at that rock, you'll have better answer to your prayers. So he went to the expense of digging it up and having it shipped to Oklahoma, where it is right now at their their church center. And it's in front of uh, Gerald Fleury's office in Edmond, Oklahoma. Recently, our son visited us with his family, and they all still are with Fleury. We learned that he has a plan to move the rock to Jerusalem. Now think about that. Does Jerusalem need any more rocks? <laughs> okay. What is that going to do? What is the rock going to do? Nothing. Okay. And put it on the Mount of Olives. At Jesus' second coming. Really? Well, a little later, we'll read about how Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives and what happens to the Mount of Olives. And that will, what he's planning to do will be worthless. And they say that they are the only ones who are the very elect of God. Now, there are several churches of God which say that they're the only true church of God. Really? Are you God? Do you know that that is a fact? We need to understand God scattered the church because of the sins. And those who are faithful, wherever they are, whatever name they are under, as long as they're faithful to God the Father and Jesus Christ and love God and keep his commandments, every single one is a part of the body of Christ his church. And not one single offshoot from worldwide can make the claim that they are the only true church of God. All the churches of God must have the fruit of the Spirit. All the churches of God must be doing what they need to do to preach the gospel. Okay. Now along that line, I'd like to make a couple of announcements here and explain what we had happened this past week. Now about five months ago, looking at the financial thing concerning America, concerning China, concerning the world, concerning uh, the BRICS, concerning uh, all the problems going on in the world, I got to realizing that is there coming a time when there's going to be clashes between China and America so great that you won't be able to get anything done in China? And also, that inflation may escalate at such a rate that no one will be able to do very much of anything because there will not be enough money to do it. And we've had warnings that we could have runaway inflation, and we always need to remember what happened to the Weimar Republic in Germany, which gave rise to Hitler, in order to buy one loaf of bread, they had to have a wheelbarrow of billions of marks. And all production came to a screeching halt. Great Depression took place. 
And Hitler moved in and filled the vacuum and that started his rise to power. So looking at the things that are taking place in the world, and as it talking with Steve before services, about how in the modern nations of Israel, and also other nations, that there are a great amount of homeless people. And now, here in America especially, with now 10 million illegal immigrants having come through the open border of Biden. Now, everybody's trying to slow that down or stop it, but they don't know the cause. What is the cause of all the immigrants coming? Because this nation, which was dedicated to preaching the gospel of Christ, has turned its back on God. Now, there are many different levels of belief in God, all the way from recognizing that there's a creator to believing that we need to have moral standards, which come from the Bible, to believing that we need to uh, come to God, to believing that we need to repent and receive the Holy Spirit of God so that we can fulfill our purpose in life. All of those are degrees of belief in God. And because this nation now has given itself over to Satanism, abortion, corrupt politics, on a scale not even imagined a year ago. The prophecy that God gave that the stranger will rise up high above you within your gates. And you shall come down very low. Now, I don't know how all of that's going to work. But just last night, or the night before, I was watching on the news where they did an interview of a young Chinese man. Now, note this. The majority of those who have come through this open border on the south have come from nearly every country of the world now. And the majority of them are young men of military age. So the army within is greater than a million, but they have not yet been activated to do their dirty work. And in this interview, the news reporter was able to interview a young Chinese man from China who came to Japan then to Mexico, then across the border. And he said that he was given $10,000 to come. Now, why? Think of that phrase, and the stranger within shall get above you very high, and you shall be brought down very low. That's the cause. And the reason they are coming is because no one wants anything to do with God. Now remember also this. Where the modern children of Israel are in the world today and also remember this, God is judging all nations all the time. And remember this third thing, God is fulfilling his prophecies so that everything that is in the Bible that has been prophesied will happen. The reason that people do not understand it is because of the way that we talked last time about how God has injected in different places many aspects of prophecies 
that represent the current state of affairs when it was written, things to happen shortly after that, things that are in the future, things that are in the kingdom of God, things about the coming of Christ, things about the New Testament church, and all of that, all of those are in the Bible. And written in such a way, and when we get to Zechariah, we will see that it's all kind of like scrambled eggs. Unless you know the Sabbath, the Passover, and the holy days of God and their meaning. You can't make sense of it all. And like Lyell just brought out, that in this world, they are given over to the inner workings of Satan. And look at that every year with the holidays, which God says in Isaiah, the first chapter, and in Amos, the fifth chapter, he hates. Yet, Satan has come and glorified them with color, with music, with beautiful things, with presents and gifts and all of this, and everybody's hunky-dory. You go into a store, and the, and the music is all Christmas carols, you know, and you, you can't get away from it. All right? Well... Only those who love God with all their heart, mind, and soul and being and are dedicated to, to doing what Lyle said in his message of growing and overcoming in grace and knowledge will be the only ones who will understand. And even then, our understanding is not as complete as God's understanding, correct? All right. So in the light of all of this and all of the potential things happening, I was led to decide to print the Bible. Now, we, we have a fairly good supply already on hand. But what if we couldn't get any printed in the future? What if there wasn't the money to do it. So what do we do with the funds and money, tithes and offerings of the brethren? When we have enough to do the things we need to do, we need to use it to preach the gospel, to supply the need of books and everything that we need. And so we made the decision to order 6,000 more Bibles printed in China. Now, and those are all available now. So all told, what we have in storage. Now, let me tell you about this as well. When that decision was made, all, nearly all of our storage units were pretty well full of books because we like to keep a good supply of everything on hand. So, where are you going to put another 5,000, 6,000 Bibles? Okay. That takes up a lot of room. Well, we prayed about it, and Terry Sparrer, one of the women who worked for us, been with us for 20 years, her husband, Max, found a place where we could put all the Bibles. A big, empty warehouse located at Bertuzio's Farms, which is right close here in Hollister. Now, those came in this last week. So now we have a good supply of Bibles. We have the paperback version, and these come eight in a box. We also have 
still a good supply of the calfskin Bible. About 4,000 of those. Then we have another 4,000 printed of the Bible in vinyl leatherette. And there are a few changes, which update a couple of places, but you won't miss anything if you have the calfskin Bible. Okay? So we have these Bibles all ready to go. Now then, we have something else which is also of special importance, which is this. I've been working for seven years on developing an interlinear, a Greek-English interlinear. Now, the standard size of the Greek interlinear, which is by George Rickerberry, is this size. Small print, hard to read, and with the King James on the margin here. I also had them print 2,500 of the George Rickerberry Greek-English New Testament, and we put it in large, bold print for the Greek, and the marginal reference on the side is the faithful version. Now, to give you a picture of how it looks with the pages open, here it is, right here. Now, there it is. That's quite a thing. Easy to read. Now, with that said, all right, none of you know Greek. Well, this coming elders conference we're going to have on the 17th, I'm going to cover some Greek things for all of the elders. But let me give you one book, which is a key, because in the back of this new version of the George Rickerberry Greek-English interlinear, we also have organized it according to the original manuscript order. Now, in the back of it, George Rickerberry has a Greek lexicon. Now, that's important because it tells you the important nouns, the important verbs, and that helps you a great deal. However, you need one other thing that you need to, to order. So be prepared to write this down. Okay? And I have it included in the coming letter for December. It's called A Parsing Guide of the New Testament by Han, H-A-N. Now, this is important because every verb and participle that you see in print in the Greek text does not show the base verb. But Han has taken every verb and every participle and has given the base verb so that with the lexicon in the back of the interlinear, you can see how it's used. Now then, this will help you in understanding the Bible even more, even if you don't know the Greek. Now, I'm going to cover some basic things for the elders a week from Sunday, and we'll record that and make that available so it will be an aid for you for those who get these. Now, the thing that's important is this, and then we'll take a break. If all of our church members 
would order enough Bibles, and we'll give them to you at no cost, that you could give to other brethren in other churches of God. So we already have some people, some of the brethren who have ordered a good number of Bibles and have already given them to those in other churches of God. This will be the best thing that we can do to help the churches of God, is to let them have a copy of the Holy Bible in its original order, okay, a faithful version. Now, we named it a faithful version because there's no politics involved. We're going by the Word of God, by the truth of God, what he inspired it to be, and put together. Michael Heiss translated the Old Testament. I translated the New Testament. Now, what's contained in the Bible? The gospel, right? Okay? So, if we give this to these brethren, that will help them a great deal. We're not trying to proselyte them, but to help them grow in grace and knowledge. So we have plenty of Bibles. Now, the vinyl Bible comes six in a box. Calfskin Bibles come eight in a box. Interlinears come four in a box. Now, this interlinear is not made to be a vest pocket Bible you take to church. I'm sure you can see by the size of it. Perhaps if Goliath were still alive, that might be possible, but he's not. So, the interlinear is meant for you to have on your study desk that you can use anytime you want to and to help you have a deeper understanding of what God has inspired. So that's the special announcement. The other details will be coming in the letter, but you can write in to request whatever number of Bibles you need and you can give them to the brethren with our love, with our help, we're not trying to proselyte them. We're not trying to disturb them. We're trying to help them and encourage them so all of us together can grow in grace and knowledge and attain to the kingdom of God, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory, as Lyle said. So we'll take a break and we'll come back in 20. Welcome back, brethren. This is Zechariah Prophecies number two. Now, as we will see, and it's very interesting, as I mentioned earlier, the prophecies in Zechariah and also other prophecies in other books of the prophets, there are the contemporary prophecies prophecies that were to be fulfilled in the near future, prophecies way out in the future, prophecies concerning Christ, prophecies concerning the kingdom of God. So let's come to chapter 6, and while we're at chapter 6, I'll make a correction from last week, because I said last week that Malachi was the last book of the Old Testament. Well, that's not true when the books are in their original order. In the original order, Second Chronicles is the last book of the Old Testament, which goes back to back with Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and it has a coordinating genealogies all the way through from First Chronicles all the way through, and then in Matthew, it picks up again with Abraham, okay? And then the genealogy down to Christ. Now, little sidebar. Remember this. The genealogy in Luke, the third chapter, 
is actually the genealogy of Mary's father, Eli. Which then went all the way back to Adam. When it comes down to David, as you go through the genealogies, and this is important, in Matthew, the first chapter, the genealogy comes down through David and then to Solomon. In Luke, the third chapter, the genealogy comes down to David and then to Nathan, one of the other sons of David. So very interesting indeed that in the actual descent of the genealogies down to Christ, that Solomon is excluded. Now, let's come to Zechariah chapter 6. Now, here we're going to see some very interesting things. And we, will, we can tie this in with other prophecies. So let's pick it up right here in verse 1. And I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming between uh, two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. Now, that must have been pretty spectacular to see. Okay, now, these horses, as we found before, are not the same as the four horsemen of Revelation 6, because all of these horses are to bring peace to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west of the area of Judea. And as we saw that with the, the book of Esther, that after Haman the Agagite was captured and killed, that a lot of the Gentiles converted to Judaism. And during the time that they came back to the Holy Land and built the second temple, there were a lot of Gentiles that converted to Judaism as well. Okay? Because God even prophesied of that. And there was a space of time of 500 years between that time and Christ, a little more, okay? And they had over 200 years of relative peace. And so we see that these horses were all there to bring peace. So let's read on. Verse 2. The first chariot had red horses, plural. In Revelation 6, each one of the horses is singular. And the second chariot had black horses, the third chariot had white horses, and the fourth chariot had dappled horses and strong ones. And I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And he answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of the heavens. Now that's quite interesting. In the form of horses, but yet they do things which we would expect someone in the, in the personage of a person or an angel looking like a person would do. Okay. Now, who go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses in it go forth into the north country. The white go forth after these go forth to the south country. The strong ones went forth and were anxious to go so that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And he said, go, walk to and fro through the earth so that they walk to and fro through the earth. To what? To bring peace in the area. That's why. Okay. And he cried out and spoke to me, Behold, these who go toward the north country had caused my spirit to rest in the north country. And that's the whole area of Persia on over toward Turkey and Syria as we have it today, and then coming on down to the Holy Land. 
So God was making peace north, east, south, and west. Okay? And that's the blessing that he said he would bring to them. Then he says, now in verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. Now this is a prophecy of Christ. Number one, his first coming in the flesh. Number two, his second coming at the end of the age. He is triumphant and victorious, yet meek and riding on a donkey, even on a colt of a fold of a donkey. And we find that fulfilled in the New Testament. That just before the Passover, he sent his disciples out and go to a certain place and you will find a donkey and it's full and bring it to me. And then he had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem with all the disciples throwing their garments down on the road, paving the way for him coming from the Mount of Olives down on the descent toward the temple and shouting, Hosanna, the king. Okay. So there's that prophecy right there. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and, and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations, beginning of the millennium, and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, what does that mean? The river to the ends of the earth. That is the Euphrates going east to the ends of the earth. What's at the ends of the earth going east? China. Okay. Now we see other references to that a little bit later. Now let's look at some some other other prophecies here concerning that. Let's come to Psalm 80. So hold your place here. We'll come back. Let's come to Psalm 80 and tie some other scriptures. Now isn't this interesting that all through the Bible you have prophecies scattered here and there about the present, the near future, the first coming of Christ in the flesh, the New Testament church, and then the second coming of Christ and setting up of the kingdom of God. Psalm 80. Okay. Let's read it here. Psalm 80 and verse 15. Okay. Now we will see, he talks about a vineyard back here in in uh, Zechariah, the sixth chapter. Okay. Talks about a vineyard. Okay, let's finish off Zechariah 6, then we'll go to, go to Psalm 80. Psalm 6, and, uh, verse 9. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Take Hildai and Jobijah and Jedidiah, from the exiles who have come from Babylon, in that same day you go and enter the house of, of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, and take silver and gold and make crowns and make them for the head of Joshua, the son of Je- Josedek, the high priest, and speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, crying, Behold the, the man whose name is the branch. Okay. Now, that's interesting, the branch, okay? What does that picture, okay? We'll see that in just a bit. That's Christ. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now, who was directing the temple of the Lord to be built? But Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, okay, both of them. But here's a prophecy of Christ. The next verse, we also have the prophecy of Christ. 
and he shall build the temple of the Lord. So there's a duality. And actually, what is the spiritual temple of Christ? That is all of the saints together. Okay? As Paul writes, into a holy temple. Okay? He shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And that's between Joshua, the son of Josedek, and, and uh, Zerubbabel. Okay. Verse 14. And the crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord to Helim and to Jobijah and to Jedediah and to Hen, the son of Zephaniah. The ones who are far off shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Now, it took to get the temple done and the city and the walls finished took a combination of 49 years to get all of that done. So this is a prophecy of it. Now, let's come and let's come to Psalm 80 and verse 15. Now God likens that area to a vineyard. Okay? And he plants it. Now, what did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am, I am the vine, and you are the branch. Okay? Now, the branch referring directly to Christ, we will see in just a little bit. Okay? All of that all fits together. All right? Verse 15. And the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and a branch that you make strong for yourself. Okay? Now, that's referring again to Christ. Now, let's come to Isaiah. We'll hold our place here in Zechariah and come back. Let's come to Isaiah 11. And let's see how it fits in again. Now, this is to show how that all through the Old Testament, in the prophets, all of the various prophecies can be understood when we realize the plan of God through a Sabbath, Passover, and Holy Days. Okay? And we know that the kingdom of God is coming at the end of the age. Okay? Here, in Isaiah 11, we have a prophecy of it again here. Okay? Verse 1. And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be as the shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge according to his sight to the sight of his eyes, nor of his hearing of his ears, but with righteous judgment he will judge the poor and shall reprove with equity the meek of the earth, and shall shake the earth and the rod of his mouth. And with his breath, his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Okay? And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Okay? Then it talks about the kingdom of God, how peaceful that is going to be. So that's quite a thing when we see that, all right? Let's come here to Isaiah, the fifth chapter, and we will see this. Okay? Isaiah 5. Now, here's the vineyard. Now, mark in your notes, Matthew 21. 
because Jesus talks about the vineyard. Okay. And how he sent laborers into the vineyard. Okay. He also talked about the vineyard in relationship to the religious leaders of his time who rejected the Lord of the, the vineyard, who rejected the son of the Lord of the vineyard, rejected all of the servants, and that comes right back here to Isaiah, the fifth chapter. Verse 1, Now I will sing to my beloved a song. Okay, Who is the beloved? Christ. Okay, My beloved concerning his vineyard, my beloved has a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. He shall dig it up and clear it, of stones and plant it with choice vines and build a tower in the midst and hew out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to produce fruit, but it produced worthless fruit. Okay, so there it is. Now notice verse 3 because it talks about exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 21. And now, O people of Jerusalem and men of Judah, I ask you to judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to it, to my vineyard, that I have not done to it? Who knows? I look for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So then he goes on showing that he's going to have to correct it there. All right, let's come to... Isaiah 28 and verse 14. Now, this is interesting because Isaiah gave the prophecies in the 800s. Zephaniah gave his prophecies 300 years later, but they all tie together. Okay? Isaiah 28, verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people of Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and we have made an agreement with the grave. When the overwhelming rod shall pass through, it shall not come to us. In other words, they are going to bring about their own way to try and do the will of God. And that never works. So this is what he's showing here. For we have made lies our refuge and have hidden ourselves under falsehood. Now, does that not tell us the same thing of what is happening today with Protestantism and Catholicism and Judaism all the way down through time? See? So this is how all these prophecies come together. All right, now let's come back here to, to Zechariah, okay? Now let's come to chapter 7. Now notice how quickly that these prophecies came. Remember, Haggai was in the first year and the second year of Darius, and here we have in the fourth year, Okay. So this puts it at 535 B.C., okay? And it came to pass in the fourth year of, of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the month, which is Kislev. And then the men who were with him were sent to the house of the Lord to pray before the Lord and to speak to the priest who were in the house of the Lord of hosts, and to the prophet saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast, separating myself? Have I done these things all these many years? In other words, all during the time that they were in Babylon, they had their own feast, they had their own mourning, see, 
not coming to God the way that they should, but doing it their way. And that's how, that's how religious works of men do. They try and get their own works to replace the works of God, which he wants us to do. Okay. So, verse 4. And came the word of the Lord of hosts to me, saying, Speak to all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and seventh month, even those 70 years, did you truly fast to me, even to me? No. They were doing it to themselves. And when you ate and when you drank, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Okay. All the self-works of men won't work. What do we have in the New Testament? We have what are called works of law, the traditions of men. So here they're asking, well, what about the tradition that we had in Babylon of fasting in these months? Okay. Should we still do it? Okay. Verse 7. Are not these the words which the Lord proclaimed by the the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous and her cities all around and the south and the plain and the plain were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, Judge true judgment. Now, I want you to see how that throughout the whole Bible, God is consistent with his laws, with his judgments, with his precepts, with what he expects. Okay? So we'll see that here. So he wanted them to reform. Judge true judgment. Not judgment according to your own eyes or your own thoughts. And show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. Doesn't that sound like New Testament doctrine right there? Yes. So in a way, even though this is instruction to them directly from Zechariah speaking to them, this is also a prophecy in the future of what Christ would speak in the New Testament. Okay, And is this not what he taught in the law of Moses? Judge righteous judgment? And didn't Jesus say to the Pharisees there in John the 7th chapter, judge righteous judgment? Yes. Okay. Now verse 10. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor. And do not imagine evil in your heart against your brother. All the schemings that people do. See? So what God is saying, you went into exile because of all of these things. And now when you come back here, I bring you back. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to change. Because I want to do some great things for you here when you back in the land, okay? So he went on saying, okay? Verse 11, But they refused to hearken and turned a stubborn shoulder and made heavy their ears against hearing. You can read that in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, how they did that. And they made their hearts adamant, Stone, instead of a heart of compassion. Now you can see that with Matthew 18. There you have judge righteous judgment with mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And remember the man who owed 10,000 to his Lord? 
the steward, and the Lord said, pay all that you have. I'm going to throw you in prison with your family and everybody else. And he pleaded with him, and then the Lord said, I forgive you everything. So instead of being thankful, that man went out and found someone who owed him a hundred pence and said, pay me or I'm going to put you in prison. He didn't learn by the mercy of God. So the same thing here. He's telling them, now you're coming back into the land. Don't do what you did to cause you to be exiled out of the land. Yes, they made their hearts adamant stone against hearing the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent through his spirit. And remember this, whatever the word of God is spoken in truth, it has a spiritual significance. Through a spirit by the former prophets, therefore great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And it will be as he called, they did not hear. So when they called, I did not hear, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they did not know. Now this is a prophecy not only of that time, but every time that the Jews came against God and didn't obey God and look at it in the New Testament time. Look at the priest, look at the Pharisees, look at the Sadducees against Christ. See? They wanted to kill him. See? So here's a prophecy of the same thing. Don't do those things. Okay? Scattered in all the nations whom they did not know. Now, even today, the Jews don't understand why all of this has come upon them. They look upon the enemies as the cause of the problem rather than looking upon their own behavior and their own traditions that are causing the problem, which they need to repent of and really come to God. See, same thing. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they did not know. Thus the land has been desolate after them, and no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. What causes environmental change? If I could put it that way. Sin. Here's this beautiful land. Now it's a desolation because of sin. And God said that the land would enjoy its Sabbath for 70 years. Now let's come to chapter 8. Now this is quite a thing. This is a prophecy which applies more directly to everything that God was going to do in the next 250 years plus, taking it from 515 B.C. with the completion of the temple, taking it down to 169 B.C. with the desecration again of the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes because of sin. But in that period of time, they had a lot of prosperity. They had a lot of everything pleasant and nice. And as we saw with those horses that are spirits bringing peace, they brought peace to the whole area. So here's what God says. Chapter 8. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. 
Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion. Now, when God sets his hand to do good, he will do it. And that's why the warnings in chapter 7, don't live like you used to live, because that sent you into captivity. I've returned to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. Multiple applications of that. Because Jerusalem is going to be what? The world capital of the kingdom of God. And it's going to be what? A city of truth. The truth of God, the truth of the saints, the truth of the patriarchs. So here is a verse that has multiple fulfillments, which many in the Old Testament do. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Now, then it comes back to the fulfillment of that time of what he was going to do for the Jews coming back to the Holy Land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, There shall yet be old men and old women sitting in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Now that applies to the physical Jerusalem. Now, when Christ comes, Jerusalem is going to be spirit. And all the spirit beings will be there. There won't be little boys and girls playing in the streets. Okay? So this applies to that. Verse 6, thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people in these days, will it not be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And they did stick to the truth. Ezra formed the great synagogue or the great assembly of 120 priests. And they made the word of God, brought it all up to date, canonized it, and sent it out to all of the synagogues within the land and wherever the Jews were scattered who didn't come back to Jerusalem at this time. So God was doing a great thing. And many times we look at the prophecies because we live in the end of the age and we see the things that are happening and why Christ needs to return. And we don't look at what God did at this particular time. So here's a period of about 200 plus years that were filled with peace, that were filled with people seeking the word of God, wanting to do what is right, and, as I'll bring out in the next one, they even translated in Alexandria the Old Testament into Greek. So this was really quite a great time in the history of the Middle East. Okay, so let's continue on here. Let's come down to verse 11. But now I will not be to the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. They shall sow in peace. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give its increase. The heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you 
and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, but let your hands be strong. We'll go ahead and end there. This last verse can also apply to how the nations of Israel in these last 500 years have been a blessing to the whole world. And it will apply to how spiritual Israel, as well as physical Israel during the millennium, will be a blessing to the whole world. The kingdom of God, ruled by Christ, and we see the type of it with Josedek, the high priest, and he has the crown as the king, and that's a foretype of Christ coming as Lord of lords and King of kings and setting up the kingdom of God on earth. So here, in what are called the minor prophets, we find an awful lot of fulfillment of God's truth in everything that he does. So this helps us to understand the word of God even more. So we'll go ahead and end it for here.